Hey, what's up, everybody? John Ricard, Camera Work Podcast number 62. So last week we were talking about Instagram, and I talked about um, just how I think you need to navigate the new Instagram. And I had a couple more thoughts about it. Like I was looking at someone who has 200,000 followers on Instagram, which is way more than me because I'm at like 3,000. And it was interesting to me because one of the things she mentioned was what they call an Instagram pod. Now, if you're not familiar with an Instagram pod, this is where you get together with a group of people. Let's say you get together with 10 people and you say, look, every time you post a picture, I'm going to comment. And every time the next person in the group posts a picture, I'm going to comment. And the next person, the next person. And then every time I post a picture, you guys are going to comment on mine. So that way I'm guaranteed when I post a picture, I'm going to get 10 comments on it. And of course, the comments are what move the post up higher in the algorithm because the algorithm is looking for interaction. Now, the pod could have 30 people and it doesn't have to have 10. But the thing about it, if you really think about it, is it's kind of fake. Because if I'm in the pod, the only reason I'm commenting on your picture is because I've made an agreement with you that every time you post something, I'm going to comment on it. And it just, like that kind of thing just always bothers me, the, the fakeness of it, how not real it is. And the weird thing is, is I don't blame any individual person. Like if you contacted me and said, hey, you want to be part of a pod? I might say, yeah, okay, let's give it a try. I'll give it a go and see how it feels. But just as an overall policy, I think it kind of sucks that when you're looking at a successful Instagram person, instead of them telling you 100% like, hey, go out there and put up interesting content and really, you know, uh, make an effort to create something interesting. Instead of that, they're saying to you like, yeah, you might want to be part of a pod. You know, it's almost like gaming the system. And that's from a successful person. So I don't know, I just think that's kind of messed up. And this same person who is very successful that I was looking at who had these tips, she had this thing on her site recently where it's like these, I don't know if you call it a contest because it's like random. It's like a, almost more like a, um, I guess, guess, don't know if you'd call it a contest, but it was one of these things where you can win some good prizes. It's like an iPhone 8 and an 8 Plus and some Kylie Jenner lipstick and all of this stuff. And what you have to do is there's a name inside the text of the post that I'm supposed to follow. So they'll say, hey, go follow Fred and visit his page. So they go follow me and then follow Fred. Now when I go to Fred's page, that same post appears and Fred tells me to follow Bob and I have to follow Bob. When I get to Bob's page, Bob says follow Mary. And then I follow Mary and then when I get to Mary's page, it says follow Jane. And it's kind of like a chain. And I keep following the next person that's mentioned in the post until I circle back to the original person that I initially found the contest on. Now, out of curiosity, I started clicking through it. I didn't bother to follow the people, but I'm telling you seriously, I got to about 50 people and I still had not finished the circle. And again, it's the kind of thing that's crazy to me because I'm looking at someone who's successful on Instagram and my wish is that they're 100% successful because of the content they put on Instagram. Not because they're part of a contest where they're telling me to go through this loop of following people that I'm following somebody that they might not even know because they're in this like circle loop of people that I'm supposed to follow for the contest, but that they're willing to like compromise their feed to get more followers. I don't know, it just kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth, but 
you know, you're looking at a guy with 3,000 followers commenting on someone with 200,000 followers, so take it for what it's worth. Obviously, that person is doing something right because more people are seeing her photography than mine, so I can't knock people on an individual level, but when I just kind of look at it as a whole, it just kind of strikes me as a way that I don't really think... Um, it's a way that I wish Instagram weren't. I wish there weren't people who are successful at Instagram who were gaming the system. I wish it was 100% like they're working harder than me, so therefore they've got a better Instagram than mine. I wish it just was like that. But that's just, you know, my personal opinion, all right? So another thing I was thinking about this week was like the large amount of educational material that I see in photography now. It seems like every month another photographer is now offering like paid educational content. And for me, it's something that I've been doing paid and unpaid for, I don't know, minimum 15 years that I've done like workshops or free YouTube videos and stuff. And I just see a whole lot of it. And it's interesting because people have done so much with the lighting content that everybody's starting to shift over to business now. That's kind of like the new thing is like how to run your photo business. I guess they feel everyone's made so many lighting tutorials. I don't know. But I was thinking about a couple of like guidelines if you're going to join a, a paid site for education. And a few thoughts I had was like, on the one hand, I think you can join for a month and really dedicate that month to mastering that content. Like imagine if you really block off your schedule and you're like, I'm going to join this person's site for $35 a month and I'm not going to work my day job or I'm actually going to turn down photo jobs. And you're going to treat that website like a nine to five job, 40 hours a week. You're watching the content and you're getting out there and practicing it and doing it rather than joining it for like a year and periodically visiting it and, you know, doing the exercises on that site. So I think that's one approach that you might take with it is the kind of one month approach. But I would say if you did that, if that worked for you and you were actually making money off that site, I think personally it'd be nice if you went and joined it for like a full year when you no longer have to be as intensive with the work on that site, just to kind of reward that person back. Because let's say you join the site, and now you're making $20,000 a year extra. It'd be cool to go back and follow that person for a year on their site. You know, see, giving them 300 bucks over the course of a year, rather than going there for the one month, making 20 grand from now on and not kind of rewarding them back. It's just what I think. But I think there are definitely some things you can learn from paid educational content. Like you can absolutely learn how to light from videos, 100%. You can learn how to pose a model from watching videos. There are just set poses that you can have in your head where you're telling a model like where to put her hands or you could have these rules about how she moves her wrist or how she curves her back and things like that that are just hard and fast rules that could take you two years to learn, but you could just watch a video and pick it up in 20 minutes. So I think there's definitely a value in educational content. Probably the one thing though that bothers me with the education content is the idea that the person you're following who's so successful that they can launch a, a paid education site and they're giving you a path to follow on that website to become successful. But the part that always kind of gets me is that person did not follow the path that they are telling you to follow, if you think about it. Like, you're joining a website and watching these lessons that they put together as your path to success, but I guarantee you, whoever that person is, did not join a website as their path to success. And 
again, doesn't mean they're doing something wrong by putting up that path. They're telling you the path that they used, but again, that path did not include joining an educational website. They carved out their own path, and to some degree, no matter how much knowledge you get off that site or any other site, you are going to need to carve out your own path. So I think you gotta, you have to be aware of that. You know, the part that's the vision, the part that's your own part that you're adding to your photography, the part where you take the photograph in a way that no one else would take it, that's not gonna be on a website. It's gonna be on a website is put the light four feet away from the model or make sure her wrist is bent and not too straight or her hand is turned away. That part's gonna be on the website, but the vision part, the part where you really do your own path, that's not on the website. And you should always remember, there is so much free content on YouTube now, especially older content. Like you can find some of the Dean Collins lighting series on YouTube. And these things are from the 80s, but lighting doesn't change. And sometimes you actually want the lighting from the old days, right? Those old like 30s movie posters, or you look at those Marilyn Monroe shots with the great light. So. Don't be afraid to just use the free content on YouTube. Some things might be dated, like the hair, or they're using a diffusion filter if it's from the 80s, but the principles of lighting, where to put a light to create shadow, or to create drama, or to create a flattering portrait, that really doesn't change. Light is light, whether you're looking at an old Van Gogh painting or Rembrandt painting, needless to say, or something new, lighting is light. So there is a lot of free content. You just have to kind of learn to weed it out. And speaking of YouTube, I mean, am I the only person on all of YouTube who, A, doesn't put music on the bottom of the video, because I don't understand why we need music. Like, it's bad music looped for 10 minutes. Why would I need that? And it's so hard to hear the person talking sometimes when they play the music. So anybody listening to this podcast, you should be thanking me for not adding music, because everybody does it. That drives me crazy. The two minutes of wasted time at the beginning of every video that no one can just jump right into what they're saying. It's gotta be all these introductions before they get to it. And I, I can't be the only person who skips the first three minutes of every video I watch on YouTube. That drives me crazy and the uh, sort of the, the, the way people change their voice on YouTube for some reason and instead of just talking in a regular tone of voice, so many people feel a need to put on like a different way of speaking. Like I'll hear guys talk about cameras and all of a sudden their voice is like, now included with the camera, you'll find a 24 to 70 millimeter lens. And also in the package, we were pleased to see that there is a battery charger. You're like, if you don't speak that way normally, there's no need to speak that way on YouTube. I find that, and then I don't know what you'd call it, but there's like the confused voice you get on YouTube also. The ones that, um, like they're trying to explain something like how, um, highways developed and they go like, and highways originally started as a means of making things faster, but somehow we're actually going slower on the highway than ever before. And you're like, well, this person doesn't talk like this regularly. Why do we need to do this on YouTube? So I don't know, it drives me crazy. But in any event, last thing I'm gonna talk about really quick here is um, test shooting. Someone asked me about test shoots. Um, in my mind, if you're doing a test shoot, and by that I mean a shoot where no one's getting paid. I'm not getting paid, the model's not getting paid, the hair is not getting paid, makeup's not getting paid. To me, the, the kind of underlying rule of that should be, it should be, the shoot should benefit everyone involved. So when I'm doing a test shoot and the hair person might say, hey, what's the direction? I might give them some loose guidelines, but I make sure that that hair person has a lot of freedom to make sure he or she gets what he or she needs for their book it's not a shoot where we're just trying to get 
what I need. I'll ask the model, do you like this shot? Or what shot do you want to do? If you have any ideas, let us know. Because that test shoot should feel like um, an opportunity for everyone to build their book, not just an opportunity for me to build my book. So if it's a paid shoot, it's different. If I'm paying you, then I might say, this is what I need you to do. But if it's a test shoot, it should be a collaboration. So as a photographer, when you're being asked to take part in a test shoot, make sure you're getting some creative freedom in there. Make sure that someone's not gonna call it a test shoot and then say to you, you must shoot it on a white background, you must use soft light, and we must shoot this model. That's not a test shoot, that's work. And if Work is cool, but the work should be paid. So you should get that kind of freedom. You should know ahead of time what the parameters of that shoot are. You should be free to say, you know, I don't really need this, or I do need it, and I want to take part in it. And there should be some freedom during that shoot to say, hey, can we do this, or can we do that? And that applies to everyone. So um, I test a lot. And the reason you want to test is because you get a chance to kind of do your vision. If you don't ever do test shoots, the problem is every shoot you do is a job, and that job has parameters. So every job you do, someone's coming to you saying, use soft light, but you want to use hard, dramatic light. Well, you don't want to try to crowbar that into their shoot. They're telling you clearly what they want. They want soft light. You don't want to be the guy up there trying to force them into doing hard light and they don't like the images. So what should you do? Do the soft light for the paid shoot like they asked, and the next day go find your own model and find your own project, create your own shoot, and use that hard, dramatic lighting. Okay, so that's where the... Um, the test shooting comes in. It's a chance for you to do your vision. You should put some of your vision on a paid job, but you can't force your complete vision on a job where someone is paying you. You can get as much of your vision in as you can, but ultimately, if they're the client, they're gonna have a say in how those images look. And if you want complete control over that, you should be doing test shoots more often. And over the course of five or six test shoots, you'll get your vision out the way you want it to be. Okay, so just wanted to address that because someone asked about it, all right? Anyway, um, that'll do it for now. If you want to find me, John Ricard on Instagram is the best place to find me, J-O-H-N-R-I-C-A-R-D. And um, if you like the podcast, tell people about it, all right? So more people are watching. And if you have questions or topics, definitely reach out and let me know. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.